Now, somebody asked me this last week. Um, how long is it going to take you to get through the book of Acts? Can you believe somebody would ask such a question? You know, well, here's what I'm going to answer, okay? It has taken, we've gone through eight uh, uh, chapters, and it's taken 23 sermons to get through eight chapters. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. I'll leave the math up to you, right? But, uh, man, I love this book. Don't you love the Word of God? It's just so rich. Um, this passage today, is my mic on? You can hear me, right? All right. Um, this passage today is a, uh, it tells the story of one of the uh, most important events in really human history, especially in our faith. Um, this is the conversion of Saul. Um, later known as the Apostle Paul, who he not only planted churches of the day there all over that region, but uh, he ended up being used by God to uh, write 13 of the 27 New Testament books. Uh, that's almost half. And uh, I, I just love statistics, so I, I, I looked this up, so I'm going to share it with you. Aren't you glad? Yeah. I want to know how many words he wrote, Okay. And so, of all the words in the New Testament, this is using English King James Version, Paul wrote uh, 28% of the uh, New Testament. Isn't that awesome? Aren't you glad to know that today? You never know what you're going to learn here, right? Amen. Um, it, needless to say, his conversion is a big deal in the history of the Christianity and of the church. And um, you need to know a little bit about Saul. Let me explain this first of all, because I'm probably going to mess this up a little bit. Um, Saul is a Hebrew expression of the name. Paul is a Greek expression of the name. Luke kind of changes uh, from using Saul to Paul later on in the book, and uh, there's no reason given for that. Uh, it's, there's not some spiritual thing about it. And so if I call him Paul, in this passage today says, Saul, you're going to forgive me, right? That was really, really weak, but that's okay. That's all right. Uh, Saul is a Jew, and a good Jew at that. Uh, he had risen in the ranks of Judaism to be this, this um, influential Pharisee. Um, you know, today's, in today's church, we, see, we hear the word Pharisee and we think of somebody evil. You know, that was not the case in, in Judaism. Pharisee meant that you were a religious leader, you were well-respected, you were able to teach the law, and you were... A, um, uh, one of the hierarchy of, of the Jewish faith. And that was Saul, a spiritual leader known as that. And in the book of Philippians, in fact, Saul later writes uh, about his qualifications as a good Jew. It's over in Philippians 3, 5, and 6, and we'll put it on the screen. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. And I think it's important for us to understand this, because as we look at this passage, we need to understand that Saul was living his life to please God. He wanted to please God as he knew it to be. And, and sometimes we, uh, I don't know about you, but I've, I've sometimes thought this, that the pre-converted Saul was 
this evil-minded, almost sadistic man who loved to torture and kill Christians. That's not the case at all. He really believed he was protecting the people of God, these Jews, by helping stop this rebellion, this sect of Jesus' followers. We must put it down. So with that as a backdrop, let's work our way through the passage, beginning with just the first two verses. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which was the description of Christians, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul, again, wanting to be a good Jew, he was seeking proper authority in order to bind and arrest Christians in order to bring them to trial to pay for their their heirs. He wanted official authorization to do that. He wanted to do the right thing. Stop and think about that for a minute. He believed with all of his heart that by arresting Christians, he was doing the right thing when he was doing the exact wrong thing. You see, he believed that uh, Jesus was a fraud. His followers were evil people. They needed to be stopped. He was believing something that was not true. And it dictated how he behaved. This may come as a shock to us, but did you know that people today believe things that are not true? And it produces behavior based upon those beliefs. In fact, I would go as far as to say this. Behavior is dictated by belief. Let me give you a few, of a few examples that uh, we see in the culture today. A person believes that America's past is completely evil. It was founded by evil men. Therefore, I will do what I can to destroy it and its values. My beliefs are going to dictate my behavior. Or we see this one in the culture today. Although I was born a male, I believe I'm really a female trapped in a male body. Therefore, I will be wearing dresses and makeup from now on. It's just who I am. It's what I believe. Or perhaps this one. My dad always showed me that he was displeased with me and made me feel like a total failure. And I have to agree with him based upon my track record. (laughs) Therefore, I will continue validating his opinion of me by behaving badly. That's what I believe. It's just who I am. Behavior flows out of belief. So the question is, what are you going to believe? I would offer you today that you can believe one of two things. You can believe the truth or you can believe a lie. I don't have really a third option for you. And I I would think that all of us would want truth, right? I just want to know what's true and I'll believe that. Well, here's the truth. I'm going to give you the truth in one simple paragraph. Jesus said it himself in John the 14th chapter. He says, I am the the way, the truth, and the life, okay? Uh, 
There is no other way. There's no plan B. He's it. If you want to know the way uh, to live your life, to bring about the fullness of which you were created and placed on this planet, you're only going to find it in Him. He is the way, not a way. He is the way. If you want to know the truth about you, your family, your marriage, your past, your insecurities, your fears, your whatever, if you want to know what is really going on, you're only going to find it in Him. He is truth. And I love this one. If you want to live, I mean really live, where there's this fountain of spiritual joy, this spiritual life that just courses through the, your spiritual veins day in and day out. It doesn't matter what the noise of the culture is. There's this realness with Him. You'll only find it with Jesus. He is life. And I don't have to tell you this, but so many folks today, even Christian people today, are uh, they're trying to find their way. They're even making up their own truth. And they want to discover the meaning of their life on their own, and it is just so fruitless. We have not been given that option. We'll just be off into deception and lies. And folks, you are not going to find the way, the truth, or the life by changing your lifestyle, by being more obedient, doing religious things, or even by reading your Bible more or going to church more often. Jesus said that you will find your way, the truth, and the life one place only, and that is Him, the person of Jesus Christ. And so he arrives on the scene as Saul and his entourage are getting close to their destination of Damascus. They were on this journey from Jerusalem to Damascus. I believe it's about 140 miles. Can you imagine walking 140 miles? I don't even want to imagine walking 14 miles, but 140 miles. They said it took six days. And so they've been traveling and they're getting close to Damascus when this occurs. Jesus shows up, verse 3. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Now here's an understatement. The men who traveled with him stood speechless. They heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight. And neither ate nor drank. I would call this a major interruption to one's life. Amen? Has, has, has God ever interrupted your life? It's heading one way and then all of a sudden out of the blue? Man. Here's the point. Jesus will radically interrupt your plans to get your attention. 
You think he got Paul's attention on the road that day? It was this bright light all of a sudden shining from heaven. And it, it says it, it, he fell to the ground, probably knocked him to the ground. And it, it, it blinded him, took away his eyesight. He couldn't see anything. So he had to be led around by other people. And uh, what kind of things get your attention? I remember when I was going through one of my uh, darkest wilderness experiences and uh, I was working at a job I hated, making less money than I ever had and complaining to God every day about my misfortune. (laughs) Anybody ever been there? One day it struck me that perhaps this is the place God wanted me to be for a purpose and a reason. Because you see, up to that point in my life, um, my whole existence had been uh, on this course to make God proud that He had me on His team. I identify a lot with Saul the Pharisee. (laughs) He really was an exemplary Jew. He was just one of the Best. Everybody would look to Saul and say, just be like Saul. I wanted to be that guy in Christianity. I wanted to be so obedient that God would go, man, I'm glad I got Dave. <laughs> and here I was. I was so unhappy. I was so distant from him, so disillusioned, and boy, he had my attention. And it was during that season of my life where I had to decide this thing. Maybe you're at a point like this. You have to decide this thing. Was my personal significance going to be more important to me than he is? Was the mark that I left going to be more important to me than him? And I embrace this verse and still do, Philippians 3.8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. I'm telling you from firsthand experience and I'm telling you from all recorded human history. The best way for Jesus to get your attention is through struggle, through trial, through loss, even suffering. One day you think you're on your way to Damascus. You got your plans. And he intervenes and you just are knocked to the ground and you can't see your hand in front of your face. and Do I have your attention? He says, I love you too much to let you keep going. You know, Jesus speaks in the passage. You have one of those red letter Bibles. This is in red. <laughs> he says, Saul... Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And Paul, re- Paul responds by, who are you, Lord? And uh, don't mistake the word Lord here. This is a very common term back then. It's, it would be used as we use sir. Who are you, sir? In fact, if I heard a voice from heaven, I'd probably say sir also, wouldn't you? That's just saying, right? And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus doesn't say that Saul was persecuting his followers. Jesus doesn't say, you're persecuting people I love. He didn't say, you're persecuting the new church. Jesus said, you're persecuting me. I think there's two profound points we can draw from that. First is this. Everything changes when Jesus makes it personal. It's not about your theology. It's not about how you do. It's not about what you believe. It's about Him and your connection to Him. Because you see, this whole thing for Saul was about persecuting Christians. It was all about him trying hard to be a good Jew. And uh, I want to obey the law. And I want to be thought of well in the religious community. It was external obedience that should result in some kind of religious commendation. Aren't you glad today we don't have people who are acting in such a way to gain some kind of religious commendation or recognition? A few examples. Can you imagine a person who thinks they should have a say in how the church is run because they give more money than anybody else? Can you believe that happens? But one day Jesus makes it personal and says, I don't care about your money. What? I want you. Can you imagine a, a, a servant of the Lord who's spent years and years in, uh, serving the Lord in all kinds of ministries and all kinds of wonderful acts of service and uh, feeling like it ought to be uh, rec- recognized, it ought to be uh, applauded, it ought to be known. He ought to be happy. But one day Jesus makes it personal and he says it's never been about that. I just want you. Saul, I don't, I don't care about all your successful religious rule following. Sorry, Saul, I just don't care. I want you. Everything changes the day Jesus makes it personal. Just you and him. It's, it's, it's no longer about how gifted or talented you are or how much you've accomplished. It's not even about your sin. It's just you and him. And when you discover the beauty of Christ, his life in you, writing his new story in your life, everything changes. Amen. So much of what you used to care about, you just don't care anymore. Aren't you glad you don't care anymore? It's kind of a joke around here at the church. They'll they'll come in, the staff will come in to me and they'll say, uh, they're they're kind of serious about something. They'll want to see uh, what I think about it and they'll give me all the details and blah, 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 blah. And I said, I got three words for you. I 
don't care. And I quickly follow that in a good way. Right? People care about way too many things that really don't matter today. You know, you, you think about it. If, if the life of Christ just transforms your heart and He just makes the world look so uh, temporary. So, even the successes that we have, uh, they're just so meaningless compared to Him. He makes so much stuff not worth our attention or emotional energy. And i got to tell you today, folks, people are expending a lot of emotional energy on stuff that doesn't matter. Christians are. Everybody's so focused on the stuff that's going on in the culture today that is so emotional, it's so intense, it's so sometimes vicious, it's so important, it's... Uh, Second point is this. Jesus and his church are one in the same. When the church is persecuted, it is Jesus whom is persecuted. We together form the living manifestation of the person of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? The church is the living, breathing living manifestation of the very reality of Jesus Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. About the body of Christ when there's this hand and there's a foot and there's an ear and there's an eye. and It's not just a cute metaphor. This is the reality of what Paul is trying to write in that book. He's saying, no, when the church is being the church and they're united in oneness, the picture the world gets is the picture of the reality of who Jesus is. That's why he prayed in John 17, I pray that they would be one, my followers would be one, so that the world would know that I did come, I am real. That's the way the world knows, is because of our unity, our love for one another, and the expression that we are together, which is the very person of Jesus Christ. Don't ever get to thinking that Christianity is some kind of belief system, a theological philosophy or, or religion that provides good instructions on how people ought to live their lives. It is not that. <laughs> Amen. The world has enough religions. It doesn't need another one. The church is the very real manifestation of the living God visible to the world through his body. Jesus doesn't leave Saul on the road. Now that he has his attention, he tells him, here's what you're going to do. Verse 10. 
Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now you have to understand before I read on that uh, Saul had a reputation that preceded him. Everybody knew Saul, the, the, the powerful Pharisee who was gathering up Christians, murdering some of them and bringing people to trial. And uh, he was, of all Jews probably of the time, to be most feared. And so Ananias would like a little clarification. Have you ever needed a little clarification for something you felt like God wanted you to do? I have to tell you, in my uh, search of Scripture, <laughs> you don't often get clarification. This is one of uh, a rare occurrence where God hears and uh, does clarify. He gives, he gives Mary, you remember Mary, the scene of Mary getting the angel? She asked for clarification, how can this be? And he, she got clarification. And Ananias and maybe some others, but most of them, no, you just do, just go. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. In other words, Ananias is presenting evidence as to why this is not a good idea. Right? And I and you too have presented God with much evidence about what he wants is not a good idea sometimes. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, <laughs> I love that. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. Aren't you glad that uh, Jesus removes scales? <laughs> that... Uh, once we were blind, but now we can see. Jesus removed scales from our eyes. This, this great Pharisee, he had been completely broken, completely brought low, weakened by Jesus. He's blind. He's being led around almost like an animal. He just He can't even for himself in any way, complete darkness, blind, not eating or drinking three days. Verse 11 says he spent those three days in prayer, having this constant conversation with Jesus. I would too if I was him. Absolutely no distractions. Makes me think of Jonah in the belly of the whale. Can you imagine how dark it was in there? There wasn't a little light you turned on in there, I don't think, you know. And he's in there and he's just alone with his thoughts and his God for three days. 
I've never done that. Have you ever spent three days in total darkness with just you and your thoughts and God? I mean, I love to be alone with God. I love to retreat. And I try to go on a retreat, a personal retreat every year. And uh, I love to be on uh, just me and him. But I go to Colorado. If God and I are going to spend time, it's going to be beautiful. You know what I'm saying? I can't even imagine three solid days. Just you, your thoughts, and the Lord. No food, no water, nothing you can see. I don't know what that would be like, but I can tell you this. I bet it puts life in perspective. I, I, I bet that God would reveal the futility of so much of what we do with our time, our resources. I think he would, uh, I think maybe midday two or early day three or something, he'd be getting through about what really the rest of my life is going to be like. I think spiritual scales would fall. So many people today have spiritual scales on their eyes, don't they? And I mean this very compassionately, but there are people in the church today who believe that Jesus died on the cross and uh, he rose from the dead and uh, they believe in him, but they don't really believe that he can change them. They're blind because the scales are still there. They're believing who they used to be is still who they are. They're blinded by their sin, their past, their own sense of worthlessness or addiction or let's just call it what it is. They're blinded by their unbelief. They've been brought up in the church probably, so they know that Jesus is the way to heaven, and I want to go there. I don't want to go to the other place. But they've never truly believed in their heart that they have been changed. And in fact, I've seen this so many times, they resist believing that. They resist the, the new creation that Christ makes in them, because if they really did believe that, their crutch would be knocked out from under them. Their pattern of meeting their needs inappropriately would be gone. And uh, They hold on to it. You see, the old me was addicted or depressed or fearful or lonely or needy, but you see, in Christ, that is not me any longer. <laughs> if you are in Christ, then believe this. You are a new creation in Him, and He is your identity. He is your life. And when you reinforce this belief day in and day out, and it's all about how can I connect more with Jesus in my life? How can I believe more in the change that He has brought to me? My behavior will then begin to comply Belief dictates behavior. And my behavior will begin to operate in agreement with that belief. And my faith, which has been completely placed in Him, 
I'll turn over and I'll, I'll look and I'll see the substance or the bottle or the picture or the feelings of loneliness or anxiety. I remind myself, that is who I used to be. That guy, that woman is dead. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. <laughs> I am complete in Him. I no longer need to medicate my pain. I no longer need to escape my hurt. He has healed my soul. He is my life. And I'm convinced that there are people here today or watching at home right now just who just need some scales to fall off of their eyes. You look at your track record, you look at your past, and it is shameful. And that has become your identity. I am a shameful person, and so if that is your identity, what are you going to be? You're going to have shameful behavior. Or guilt. I'm so guilty over the past, I can't get out of that, and so I continually beat myself up. Because you were mistreated somewhere. How many have been mistreated? Anybody here been mistreated before? Somebody mistreated you somewhere along the way. Maybe a, pa a parent, a teacher, a boss, a church, a pastor. So now bitterness is your identity, and you've got a right to your bitterness, you believe. Well, because of your life experience, you've made depression. That's who you are. Or you've had an illness, and you've identified with that illness, and it got you attention, and so now that's where you stay. You've chosen an identity that justifies behavior. And it keeps you from believing in the one who is greater than all of it. The one who can completely set you free can change the deadness of your heart into a live, living, breathing manifestation of His life. I wonder, as we close this service, I wonder if you would uh, accept the challenge to just pray to the Lord and say, where are there scales in my life? Where, where is the blind spots? Where am I blind and Perhaps you already know. What is it that I don't pray about much because I don't want to go there with him? <laughs> what if I latched on to, and that's who I am, that is not him? I want you to bow your heads with me and uh, I'll give you a few moments. Would you just pray? Ask him where the scales in your life are that need to fall today. Father, in these quiet moments, there are 
connections not only in this room here but there are connections in living rooms all across this area and even across this country that are watching this today where people who have accepted a false identity and uh, thought they were doing everything right perhaps like Saul in the story and uh, now I've come to believe that it's really not about their good behavior or not about their past track record or even the failures or the sin. It's, it's about this person, Jesus, that can come and be everything and transform and remake their heart and uh, become their life. And I pray in these moments, Father, that people would be making that connection with you. Father, there are no doubt Christians here who, for lack of a better way of explaining it, are debilitated Christians. They, they're living the life without the joy and the, there, there's, there's such a grip of fear or there's such a uh, disappointment in themselves and there's a, a certain lack that if they were truly honest, they would say, just not either a very good Christian or I'm just not very happy. And uh, Oh, Father God, somewhere along the road, something came along and robbed them of their joy. And I pray, Father, that today they would uh, be restored in the joy of their salvation. You did not come to claim them as your own, that they may be debilitated and uh, joyless. So I pray, Father God, that your spirit would so fill them that they would know the joy perhaps they once knew. Father, no doubt there are people who have expended so much time and energy and emotional energy on things that really don't matter. And I pray that as we face the coming days and the coming months, we don't know what's going to happen, Father. I pray that... uh, the joy level of the church would be high and that there would be a concentration of focus on the person of Jesus Christ for it's you that matters. It's you that is the hope of the world. It is you that is our only hope. And so may we uh, continue to focus our emotional energy in such a way that we live out this life that has been so graciously given to us. Oh. Father, for those who are living in a just a place of unbelief today, I pray that uh, they will believe that you can handle what they're going through. That you can mend the wounded heart. That you can replace <laughs> the shame with your spirit. Let's stand.